Welcome to Revival from the Bible, a daily devotional podcast designed to help more people get into God's Word and get more out of the Word. I'm Ben Blakey. Today's passage is 1 Corinthians 6. Imagine that you went to go hear the testimony of an ex-convict. And this ex-convict was now devoting himself to ministry. Now, wouldn't you expect him to not act like a convict anymore? Wouldn't you expect uh, that he would live differently than he did in his former life? Well, that's the big idea of what we want to see today in 1 Corinthians 6. We are to live differently. Being a Christian doesn't really say much about our past because we can, we could be, have been caught up in all kinds of sin in our past. Being a Christian says a lot about where we are and where we are headed and then what has happened to us through Jesus Christ. And that will affect uh, some of these next issues that Paul gets to. Today, we'll really look at two issues in the church in Corinth. And one is, well, squabbling this, not just divisions of, well, we support this guy versus we support this guy, but uh, conflict that is leading to lawsuits within the church. And then we will see issues of sexual immorality. But I think they're both connected to that idea of we are to live differently now. We are not who we are were. And we need to live like that. What we start with verse one, when one of you has a grievance against one another, does he dare go to law before the unrighteous instead of the saints? So there he's basically saying, and apparently this was one of the issues that they were having disagreements within the church and having to go to the civil courts, which would have been run by the the pagans of Corinth to decide What should happen in these cases? And it says in verse two, or do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world is to be judged by you, are you incompetent to try trivial cases? Do you not know that we are to judge angels? How much more than matters pertaining to this life? Uh, And basically hinting at some eschatological truths about what's in store in the future for the saints saying, you guys really can't figure this out. Uh, you really have to bring them into um, the secular courts. He, he gets to a point here in verse five where he says, I say this to your shame. Can it be that there is no one among you wise enough to settle a dispute between the brothers? But brother goes to law against brother and that before unbelievers. So there, the first principle is well, try to resolve these things amongst yourselves or even bring in a wise person from the church to come and help settle the issue. Do not take it out into the unrighteous courts. Do you think the wisdom they're going to provide is going to be better than the wisdom that the church should be able to have? And then we see really what he gets to in verse seven, to have lawsuits at all with one another is already a defeat for you. Why not rather suffer wrong? Why not rather be defrauded? but you yourselves wrong and defraud even your own brothers. So it's saying, man, if it really comes down to it, where there is no solution that seems to be working even within the church, it would be better for you as a Christian to take the loss 
than to take it to court. Now, that's that's radical, and that goes against our flesh. That goes against what the world would say. Uh, but we see that, that is the principle here in the scriptures. You, you, sh- you should be better to be defrauded, to take the loss, than to fight for what even may be rightfully yours by taking it to court. One commentator says this, it is far better to trust God's sovereign purposes in trouble and lose financially than to be disobedient and suffer spiritually. And I want you to get that in your head now in case you ever find yourself in this situation where you say, I'd rather take the loss and trust God, knowing that I'm doing what is right in his eyes, that then to be disobedient, and maybe I gain some financially, but I suffer spiritually. And then he gets to the why. So we see the principle there, Christians should not go to court and sue other Christians. Find another way within the church to work it out, or just take the loss. That is the principle there, but why? Why is that? It's saying it'd be better to be defrauded because a non-Christian defrauding is what they do. And that is what we see here in verse nine. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? So again, why take our disagreements to the unrighteous who aren't going to be a part of the kingdom of God, but also the principle is what well, you should be different now. Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Wow. I mean, that's an amazing statement of the gospel, that God can transform anybody. God can transform the greedy. God can transform the drunkards. God can transform the sexually immoral or the homosexuals. God can transform them and wash them and cleanse them in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. But again, the context here, the principle is, therefore, we should live differently. Instead of being a swindler, we should rather be swindled if it comes down to it than to take these things to court because we should live differently. Now, the next big way that we should live differently is in the realm of sexual immorality. And it starts with, even in the English Standard Version, you'll see some phrases in quotes. And that's because they're suggesting the best way to understand this is that these were things that were being said within the church in Corinth. And now we're in the next issue. And what the people in Corinth are saying, and you've heard these phrases before, all things are lawful for me but not all things for helpful. All things are lawful for me. That, that's what they're saying. That's their refrain. All things are lawful for me. And they're applying that to food. Food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food. And that brings us into some other things that we'll see here in a bit, even in Romans and back in, or in 1 Corinthians. And we saw back in Romans about food and how there were disagreements about that. And they're saying, well, hey, all things are lawful for me. And there is, as we'll see, some truth to that. All foods are clean for the believer. But it seems that they were taking that same principle and applying it to sex. 
Verse 13, food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. So I think Paul here is saying this discussion you're having about food, it's apples and oranges to what food should I eat and what is sexually permissible for me as a Christian. And really, as it goes on, it highlights the uniqueness even of sexual sin. It talks about how we're taking the members of Christ and making them members of a prostitute. That is amazing. And in verse 18, it says, every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. So it highlights even the uniqueness of sexual sin and how it involves our bodies. And the central imperative of this is flee from sexual immorality. Don't take this all things are lawful for me mindset that you're applying to food and apply it to sexual immorality. Run away from sexual immorality. And he gets to the reason why in verse 19, because it involves our bodies. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you? Whom you have from God, you are not your own. You were bought with a price So glorify God in your body. And how do you do that? How do you glorify God in your body? Here in the context, by fleeing sexual immorality. So you need to prayerfully consider how do you need to run away from sexual immorality um, today? And here's three things to think about. One, you need to run away, sometimes physically. And here the greatest biblical example is Joseph, how he runs uh, from Potiphar's wife. He literally runs from the room. Or you think of Proverbs 7, where the seductive woman comes to this man and entices him. Well, it starts with him wandering where he shouldn't have wandered. And there may be some just even physical situations where you are putting yourself, where you are playing with fire and you need to not put yourself in those situations. You need to run away from sexual immorality and run away before even the temptation arises. You need to avoid those potentially compromising situations. And that's where it'd be good to have healthy boundaries of, hey, well, there's certain situations I'm just never going to allow myself to be in. Flee from sexual immorality. You also need to flee sexual immorality with your eyes. And especially, I think, in our culture where pornography even is so prevalent and available and even not just explicit pornography, but you can be watching something entirely appropriate on the television when all of a sudden a commercial comes on that is entirely inappropriate. You need to guard your eyes. What are you looking at? And you need to flee from sexual immorality. And finally, you need to flee from sexuality in your mind, right? We know that you don't have to commit some physical act with someone to be in sin. Jesus tells us if a man looks at a woman with lust in his heart, he's already committed adultery with her. So you need to be careful where you go in your mind and you need to flee from 
uh, from sexual thoughts, from fantasies, from just mental temptations. You need to run away from those things actively in your mind and, and remove the temptation and set your mind on the Lord and set your mind on the scriptures. And really a final way that I would add to this list of fleeing sexual immorality, if this is an ongoing struggle in your life and something that you know there there is not consistent victory in, and you're really just fighting that battle all by yourself, I would plead with you, talk to somebody about it. That, that is one of the most practical ways you can flee from sexual immorality because sexual immorality really breeds in the darkness. So flee out of the darkness and bring that temptation and sin into the light by confessing it to a trusted brother or sister in Christ so that they can help you. We were sexually immoral. We were greedy. We were swindlers. But we have been washed, we've been sanctified through Jesus Christ. Therefore, let us live differently. Let us walk in the freedom that Christ has obtained for us. Not captive to greed and having to get everything we can out of a situation and not captive to lust or sexual immorality, but free to live for Jesus Christ, our Savior and our Lord. Thanks for digging into God's Word with me today on Revival from the Bible. For more resources, check out RevivalFromTheBible.com. To learn more about Compass Bible Church Treasure Valley, go to CompassBible.tv. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you.